Hi there, great to see you again. This is MLEX's weekly podcast, bringing you the top regulatory stories of the moment. My name is James Paniki. I'm from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team. And in just under 10 minutes' time, we'll be crossing to Brazil to examine the confluence of politics and the fight against corruption. Brazil's car wash prosecutions have attracted international attention, but the often fraught relationship between those pushing the anti-corruption agenda and the government has been exacerbated by looming federal elections. Caio Rinaldi will join us from Sao Paulo with the latest developments there. First, though, let's head straight for the metaverse. You'll no doubt now be aware that Facebook has changed its name, or at least the company that owns Facebook has. It's now to be known as Meta. But it's more than just rebranding. The company headed by Mark Zuckerberg has a shopping list of forward-looking and even futuristic ideas that it's hoping to get through. But is this for real, or is it all pie-in-the-sky, maybe-one-day stuff? MLEX's chief global digital risk correspondent, Mike Swift, has answered that question in a fine piece of analysis, and he joins me now from San Francisco. So, uh, Mike, uh, firstly, what is the metaverse, and how is Facebook reorganizing itself to follow this vision of Mark Zuckerberg? So the internet as we experience it today is always inside a device. It's in a phone or a computer. Um, It's something we go to and look at. The metaverse uh, is going to be a mixture of virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, and mixed reality. And it's going to be an immersive experience where we won't be looking at the internet in a device. We will feel like we're actually in it and other people are in it with us. And so that's obviously going to be a tremendous change, um, both in how we experience computers, but also how we interact with each other. And to prepare for this um, amazing future, uh, Facebook has basically split itself into two companies um, under the umbrella uh, company now called Meta. Um, The company that we always knew of Facebook uh, being the big blue app and WhatsApp, Instagram, those things uh, will continue under the umbrella of Meta, but there will be a separate branch under Meta called Facebook Reality Labs, where uh, this vision will uh, be uh, nurtured and grow in the years ahead. So it's a it's a very ambitious bet and and change for the company. Well, how close to this becoming a reality are we? I mean, uh, how soon will it be uh, before we're poking our Facebook friends in the metaverse? And and I suppose what technological and social advances uh, need to happen for this metaverse to become reality? Well, if you're an Oculus user, you know, Facebook's VR products, you will start to see apps that um, very soon that will seem, will be metaverse-like experiences. But for the rest of us, it's really years away. And uh, as Mark Zuckerberg and the rest of his company laid out this vision the other day, they basically said they need to have about a dozen uh, computer technology breakthroughs for this thing to really happen. But it's also something they've been working on for seven years already. Um, they're spending a lot of money on it, and they're saying they're going to, to have, the, they think they're going to have these breakthroughs. But to get there, they really need to have, you know, leaps forward in things like optics, haptics, um, computer vision, in which computers actually are able to see and recognize um, objects in three-dimensional space. 
uh, artificial intelligence, and um, um, perhaps most interesting, the development of avatars. The avatars that would appear to be the person that you know in real life, as well as sort of the cartoonish-like avatars that we're more familiar with now. So all those things need to happen, and they're saying it's going to be at least three years and probably quite a bit longer before this vision is really becoming part of mainstream life. And how is uh, Facebook going? In fact, let me rephrase that. How is Meta going to make this happen? What, uh, you know, what specific steps uh, is the company taking to make the metaverse a reality? Well, they need to spend a whole lot of money and they need a whole lot of people. And they've basically said, we're going to, we're doing both of those things. Um, This year, they said that they are going to spend at least $10 billion on this, both inside the company, but they're also doing things like creating funds. For example, they've created a a $50 million XR fund. XR stands for extended reality, which is um, the umbrella term for uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. And, and that's a fund for developers to basically come up with their own ideas. So they're trying to build this in-house, but they're also trying to seed um, independent developers to, uh, you know, to basically follow their own ideas and visions for this. Now, regulation is, of course, what we do best at MLEX. So let's maybe talk about the main regulatory risks of the new uh, that the new Meta might face uh, in terms of privacy. Uh, firstly, as it embarks on this journey towards the future. Right. Um, so there was a very interesting uh, colloquy between Nick Clegg, who is Facebook's uh, global affairs chief, and Mark Zuckerberg as part of this this long presentation. And they basically said, well, you, you shouldn't worry. We understand that regulatory issues are going to be a big problem, but uh, because the metaverse isn't going to be here for a few years, we have time to work with regulators and get it right this time. And we're not going to have um, a situation as it happened in previous generations of computing where the technology went way ahead and got out of control and the regulators had to rein it in. We're going to bring them on board right from the beginning. So that's their very calming and reassuring vision. We'll see whether that's true or not. Um, I think regulators have been a little concerned and circumspect when we've speak, been speaking to them in recent days, but I think they are looking at this very closely. I think this is going to attract a lot of attention to Facebook because um, the reality is that uh, virtual reality and augmented reality systems can collect exponentially more personal data about people than our current technology. And that's going to be a concern. It's going to be a concern both in terms of privacy, but also security. One really fascinating thing they hinted at was that um, avatars are going to become so realistic that it would be a really huge problem if someone steals your avatar. So we have problems now with identity theft, but imagine if somebody took control of an avatar that appeared to be you. It sounded like you. It looked like you with accuracy right down to the skin pores is what they're talking about. That's actually a chilling thought. So um, so there are, there are <laughs> there's some pretty serious, I think, regulatory scrutiny ahead for this vision. And that uh, talks to the privacy concerns, but I wonder if Facebook or Meta also face regulatory risks on the uh, competition or antitrust side of things, and, and what might those challenges be? Sure. So, I mean, we can see that a little bit now with Facebook's current antitrust problems that um, they're in trouble after um, buying Instagram and um, WhatsApp because the allegation from the Federal Trade Commission here in the U.S. is that um, they have essentially monopolized social media. And that's had a privacy impact on everybody because if these companies had remained independent, 
they would have been more privacy protective. And, you know, the fear is that the same sort of competition abuses could happen with the metaverse, that the belief of people I've spoke with in the wake of this announcement with us, Facebook is really trying to build the infrastructure and own the infrastructure of the metaverse. And if it's allowed to do that without um, laws that require this infrastructure to be interoperable by Facebook's competitors, that's going to create a huge competition problem. And in fact, um, the German antitrust uh, regulator is already looking at uh, Facebook's tying of its um, Oculus uh, devices to Facebook accounts. So it's really already attracting uh, competition scrutiny, and that's really only going to increase over time. Now, the cynical view of all of this, of course, is that Zuckerberg isn't particularly uh, serious about the metaverse. This is really just a misdirection ploy that he's uh, using at the moment to distract everyone from Facebook's current regulatory problems. What do you what do you say about that cynical view? I disagree with that. And, you know, I think um, I'm as cynical as anybody about Facebook's motives, but I, I don't think that the evidence suggests that that's true. A lot of commentators have been saying that, that this is just, you know, a ploy to take the, uh, the heat of the spotlight from uh, these Instagram revelations about how they were affecting young women. And the evidence just it, it doesn't indicate that at all. Facebook has been talking about this for months. Um, Mark Zuckerberg made this kind of the centerpiece of uh, his uh, conversation with Wall Street analysts back in July. We did a story in August about how um, uh, Facebook's head lead lawyer, Jennifer Newstead, was already saying that the metaverse is a big part of her job. And this was before the latest um, uh, PR crisis erupted. So I, I, I think the, in, the evidence, if you look at Zuckerberg long term, he really is somebody who wants to be seen as a visionary, who he's already transformed the internet once by connecting people. He would like to be the person that takes us to the next generation as well. And I think that as well as um, making his company even stronger are really the two things that are driving him here. Okay, Mike, these have been fascinating uh, developments. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to walk me through them today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was fun to talk about it, James. Thank you. Mike Swift there, MDEX's global digital risk correspondent, speaking to us from Silicon Valley, and his analysis of Facebook's new meta-identity is ready for you to read. Just head for mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com and click on the News Hub tab for the very best of our reporting and analysis. And of course, subscribers have access to the full portfolio of writing on the metaverse. There's everything that you need to know to get your head around these crazy developments from Mike and the rest of the team in San Francisco. And don't forget that you can subscribe to MLEX's podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And please Leave a review where possible and help us spread the word. I'm James Paniki. Thank you for making it this far. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is no stranger to controversy, but his approach to the fight against corruption in the country has again divided political observers. On the one hand, it's undeniable that he has been weakening the country's corruption-fighting institutions, but on the other, there are those who believe that Brazil's crime-fighting prosecutors have themselves played political games in their management of high-profile corruption investigations, including the now world-famous car wash scandals. 
It's a heady mix of arguments, and luckily for us, Caio Rinaldi from MNEX's Brazilian team has been following developments every step of the way, and he joins me right now. So, Caio, uh, firstly, paint us the picture of what the anti-corruption landscape in Brazil looks like at the moment. Well, um, if you had asked me that, I don't know, two years ago, I'd say things were looking fine. But now, after nearly a decade of solid results, uh, with major cases getting international attention and even headlines, the country unfortunately has now entered a new phase uh, with investigations losing a lot of momentum and the country risking now to, to have relevant setbacks uh, in the anti-corruption landscape. I know we'd uh, prefer not to talk about politics, but uh, the fight against corruption in Brazil has always been strongly linked to politics, and the country has uh, a presidential election scheduled for next October. And recent shifts in the political landscape have led to major changes in, in institutions and in even in the, the legal framework in the anti-corruption um, matters. Okay, so what is happening right now? What is new? Okay, uh, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, who was elected promising to strengthen the fight against corruption, uh, he has instead, since he took office, he has been spearheading the weakening of our control institutions, uh, including the prosecution service and the federal police. Other actions include the appointment of a prosecutor general that is totally aligned with uh, Bolsonaro's interests. And also, uh, there has been some interference in criminal investigations being carried out by the federal police. These are uh, directly linked to corruption and criminal investigations over Bolsonaro and also his closest family members, uh, which uh, really uh, translates to, to an attempt by Bolsonaro to shield himself and his family members from, from investigations. At the same time, we, uh, major investigations such as the Operation Car Wash have drawn the ire of Brazil, the Brazilian political establishment, uh, mainly because of the way prosecutors and even one of the judges steered the public debate with uh, very selective leaks to the media at very critical moments. Uh, now we are one year ahead of the presidential election and seasoned politics are keen on changing the, the legislation in ways that make it harder for them to be punished. Uh, earlier today, James, uh, the head of OECD working group on bribery uh, highlighted in a, in a webinar here in, in, from a Brazilian institution uh, that the OECD group has serious concerns with the anti-corruption environment in Brazil and even suggested that the current landscape could harm the country's bid to join the, the OECD going forward. Okay, well, so legislation changes are being discussed. Tell me something about those changes. What are they all about? The Brazilian Chamber of Deputies recently tried changing the composition of the country's body overseeing the work of uh, the country's federal prosecutors. That's the National Council of Public Prosecutors. These changes would have taken power away from prosecutors and strengthened Congress's powers within the, the prosecutors' council. That really means that um, Congress would have more conditions to interfere 
in uh, investigations, uh, in the, the ways investigations are being carried out, and uh, would also allow Congress to, to nominate a, an internal affairs officer that would be able to directly interfere in investigations. Uh, these debates around the proposition was were really fast-tracked by the, the chamber's president. He didn't really seem interested in debating the changes before voting them. That, that also adds another factor to this political uh, scheme that has been going on uh, since Bolsonaro took office to, to weaken uh, anti-corruption uh, framework. So, at the end of the day, this proposition changing the prosecutor's counsel was not approved, but... Congress did approve in the following day changes to the country's administrative improbity law that have narrowed the conditions in which uh, politicians can be actually administratively charged. Okay, so this raises the question of whether these changes to the prosecutor's counsel uh, were an overreach by politicians or were the politicians uh, justified in doing this? Mm, I'd say a bit of both. Uh, politicians are obviously overreaching and trying to temper the rules in their favor. But prosecutors, in some cases, especially Operation Car Watch, have cl clearly abused their prerogatives. And the prosecu prosecutor's counsel has actually failed to punish them. And due to these discussions around the changes in the prosecutor's counsel, uh, in a surprising decision, the council actually fired a prosecutor who worked in the Operation Car Wash Task Force in Paraná for paying for billboards, praising the investigation's prosecutors out of his own pockets. A bit weird. The council also opened an administrative probe to investigate alleged abuse committed by 11 federal prosecutors in Operation Car Wash Task Force in Rio. All these measures actually somewhat confirm that changes must be implemented. But the timing and the circumstances is really what has uh, raised some eyebrows here in Brazil and abroad. Mm. Okay, so to what extent might these discussions and this uh, political clash have an impact on investigations that are now underway? Well, first and foremost, um, I'd say that these discussions have been deterring anti-corruption efforts overall, diverting prosecutors uh, from working in real cases to, to focus themselves on institutional debates. That has actually led to lower number of cases, with prosecutors also having less resources to carry out in-depth investigations as the institution is now less focused on white-collar crimes that in fact demand more time to be investigated. On the long term, I'd say if civil society is not vigilant and actually allows politicians to pass these rules that favor their own interests before next year's elections, prosecution may face more rigid, strict legislation to, to file charges and, and prosecute. And I'd say that the costs of fixing and improving anti-corruption rules in the future might be even higher. Kayo, these are important uh, developments. Thank you so much for covering them uh, for us. It's been great talking to you as always. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me.
And that was Caio Rinaldi, who covers anti-bribery and corruption for MLEX from Sao Paulo. And I certainly urge you to read Caio's analysis of recent developments, which is now at your disposal on the sunny side of the paywall. MLEXMarketInsight.com. That's MLEXMarketInsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab, and that will take you through to a wealth of reporting and analysis from MLEX's team around the globe. Sadly, though, that's where we have to leave it for this week. But if nothing else, I can assure you that we'll be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time. Thanks for listening. And from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, have a great weekend and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.